This episode is brought to you by Save Our Babies, a conversation about suicide and mental health for children of color. Did you know African-American children are taking their lives at roughly twice the rate of their white counterparts? And every five days, a child under the age of 13 dies by suicide, as well as Latina teens currently have the highest rate of suicide attempts among all adolescent groups in the U.S. As a suicide survivor and as a person who has lost my younger cousin to suicide, he would be turning 18 this year. I am really passionate about saving our children of color from suicide. So Fireflies Unite has partnered with the National Alliance on Mental Illness, the Prince George's County chapter, to raise awareness for suicide for black and latino children by hosting our very first event on july 21st the event will provide a panel and a safe space for mental health professionals and advocates and there will even be a mom there to talk about her losing her son to suicide this is a place for parents and anyone who works with children to come and learn to how to identify the signs of suicide and mental illness in children. The event will take place again on July 21st in Bowie, Maryland, and a portion of the ticket proceeds will be donated to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, Prince George's County Chapter. For tickets and more information, head over to www.saveourbabies.eventcreate.com. Com. Again, for tickets and more information, head over to www.saveourbabies.eventcreate.com. Let's start the show. Fireflies Unite with Kia, your weekly podcast from the perspective of individuals thriving with a mental illness. We are normalizing the conversation about mental health within communities of color to foster mental wellness and empowerment. Welcome to another episode of the Fireflies Unite podcast with Kia, where our mission is to bring light into darkness just like the fireflies. So, y'all, I just realized that last week's episode after I listen back to it because I do listen to the episodes in the car even though I edit them and listen to them countless times while editing but last week when I listened to the episode I sound really low and the music sound like it was over my voice so pardon me for that y'all I am again like I said always working to make the podcast a better experience Um, I'm always open to feedback, uh, constructive criticism as it pertains to the podcast because I want to make sure that it is an enjoyable experience for you, that you get the information and the resources that you need. Uh, So I hope that I just wanted to let you know that I do pay attention. I see everything that you guys write. Um, I appreciate the comments and I appreciate y'all for often sliding in my dms or tweeting me i really really do appreciate it i've gotten nothing but love and support from you know from the podcast and i just wanted to let y'all know i'm always doing my best to make the podcast better so last week we spoke with Kaylin and she talked about her battle with bipolar disorder and her family's history of experiencing mental illness and she also came to drop some gems on essential oils 
as they have great benefits for your mental health. So if you did not listen to last week's episode, I encourage you to go back. And if you did listen to it, then share it with a friend. I love essential oils. I put, I have a diffuser. I put it on every single night before I go to bed. And then I also have waterfalls and like waves and like the sound of ocean and rain in the background when I sleep every single night. It's like my ritual. And so essential oils are great. I use them when I have a cold peppermint and eucalyptus and I mix it with coconut and you can have make a, your personal uh, Vicks vapor up. Well, it's not Vicks. It's much better than Vicks because Vicks has a lot of um, chemicals in it. So that's a very uh, great like natural way that you can use to make your own like chest rub and so I love essential oils and so I really hope that you got some information and that you guys start getting into essential oils because they have countless benefits I shared also last week the book that you can get for essential oils and you can just also go into Google and the University of Google, <laughs> a lot of information will pop up for essential oils and you'll see all of the amazing information. And I really pray that you all are doing well. Today, we are really going to talk about a very topic. I mean, we're going to talk about a topic that is very necessary. And that is the difference between sadness and depression. I noticed that a lot of people actually really don't notice the difference between the two. They use them interchangeably or like as synonyms. And it's a bit triggering for me. Um, I don't get too mad because I know a lot of people don't really understand what it is. And But when we use sadness instead of depression or depression versus sadness, the person who's experiencing depression, it can certainly belittle or uh, minimize what their depression is like for them. So I really want us to be cautious about that. And I've talked about that on the previous episode. And I thought it would just be really, again, beneficial. For those who do not know, depression affects 19 million Americans. And again, it is more than being sad. It is not the blues and people can't just snap out of it. Believe me, y'all, I try. It, it don't work like that. And the findings show that women overall, regardless of race or ethnicity, are more likely than men to experience depression. Um, but African-Americans experience depression at higher rates than our white counterparts. And black women also experience high, high rates of depression compared to the general population. But guess what? Black women are among the most undertreated groups for depression in the entire nation. That's a problem, which can have so many serious consequences on our community. And it's because in so many cases, we are holding the entire community on our backs. We often think we have to be strong. And I will be the first to tell you that you don't have to be strong all the time. Sometimes you could take that cape off because it is, it will be that cape that will choke the life out of you. Because we feel like we have to do 50,000 things at one time and we're neglecting our mental health. And battling depression does not make you weak. Like, yes, I have major depressive disorder, but am I weak? No. Am I uneducated? No. Like, it's just a part of my story. It is not my entire story. And for black men, black men are the most unemployed and incarcerated in the country. That's according to 
a the census and that's in states i mean sorry in cities chicago philadelphia detroit and baltimore is above 45 percent and again that's according to the census the that also contributes to black men depression i think also what contributes to it and not just depression but maybe even ptsd is police brutality the things that we're seeing that's happening in this country certainly impact our mental health men you know also with the role of i would say men changing because now women now could be the primary breadwinner in the house where opposed to before men were always told that they have to provide they have to do this they have to be the protector they have to do certain things and now we're seeing that there are now men who are stay-at-home dads now that's not to say that they aren't the protector or they can't provide but men can also provide in other ways they can provide uh, again by being at-home dads and there are again some men who are in that role and some men especially in the black community they have a very hard time with accepting a woman being able to be independent or being able to have a successful career and because society has deemed us to have certain roles and giving the changes in society a lot of those roles are changing and i believe that contributes to depression as well of course there are so many factors it's very cumbersome it's not one size fit all you can't just say because of a and b this is why depression exists because there's so many factors that go into depression it can be environmental it can be genetic so it's it's so many things and so i can't sit here and say it's one but those are some of the things that certainly come to mind and to help me with this topic i am joined by dr amber thornton she and i met on instagram or twitter either way we met on social media and she's doing amazing, amazing work. Like, I know I always say that about my guests, but they are doing great work to dismantle the mental health stigma. And Dr. Amber Thornton, she is a licensed clinical psychologist and she is a fellow podcaster. So shout out to Dr. Thornton. She is the host of a different perspective podcast. It's a podcast about mental health and psychological information for black people and communities of color. She received her bachelor's of science in psychology from the Ohio State University and her doctor of clinical psychology from Wright State University School of Professional Psychology. Her clinical interests, they vary and include child and adolescent college counseling, family systems, and the psychological impacts of complex trauma and diversity and multiculturalism. Dr. Amber Thornton, she is most passionate about providing mental health services to marginalized and underserved communities. Fireflies, can we welcome Amber, or shall we say Dr. Amber Thornton? Thank you, Dr. Amber, for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm really, really excited and just super grateful to uh, just kind of talk with you because, you know, we were, we kind of connected through social media. I've listened (laughs) to the podcast. And so it's just always good to kind of like make the official connection through like hearing someone's voice or meeting them in person. And especially because I remember you tweeting um, something 
And oh, you tweeted about you was like saying that depression and sadness weren't the same things. And I was over here like saying like she is preaching to the choir, especially I think for me, because there are so many instances where I see people use like depression um, on social media. Like they'll say things like I'm so depressed because my TV show isn't coming back on or girl, it's like, it, it's, it's so, it's so triggering for me because it like, it like belittles my experience, especially when I've been like hospitalized for a suicide attempt. And, you know, when I had my episode, I was like, when I was forced into the hospital, like I didn't know what day of the week it was. Um, I didn't know what time it was. Like I was really out, uh, out of my mind for I guess, lack of a better word. And so I I do my best to be really understanding because I know people say things out of just not being educated. They simply don't know. Um, But it's challenging just because of everything that I have gone through, you know, after my diagnosis. So I just really wanted to get you on, get you on here to really like dispel, dispel the myths and make sure that people actually understand what the difference between depression and sadness is. And so just really jumping straight into it. So what is the difference between the two? And like, how can someone tell if they're having like just a typical bad day versus it actually being depression? Right. Well, you know, there are like, there are a lot of different ways that you can tell the difference. But the one thing that I always say is, if you are sad, you're usually sad about something, right? Like the example you just said, like someone's TV show not coming on. They're sad about this particular thing. But with depression, a lot of times there isn't really one particular thing. It's either a, a, a mood about a lot of different things or really everything. It's like this diffuse feeling that there's no one thing you can pinpoint like, oh, I feel this way because of this. So that is one way. But also, like you just said, too, you know, someone having a bad day is very different from depression because when we look at depression and looking at the symptoms and the timeline, depression, the duration for depression is at least two weeks. So if you woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning or you felt sad about a TV show, but then you felt better the next day, that's not depression, that's sadness (laughs) or something else that's more fleeting. But depression is a lot long lasting. But also another thing too that I don't think people realize is sadness is only one symptom of depression. With Mm -hmm. depression there are so many other symptoms. And sometimes people can have depression without actually feeling sadness. There are other symptoms that go along with it. So, you know, at the again, like you said, there's not a lot of education and so because of that people conflate the two of sadness and depression, but they they are really, really different. Yes. And I think that's one of the one of the most important things. You hit it like right on the nose as far as sadness, you usually can pinpoint it, but with depression you usually can't. And in my experience, I have honestly I didn't even know that I was depressed. When I was diagnosed, I was actually in denial. I so I kinda knew, but I was like Nah, I'm not depressed. Like, cause I felt like there was nothing for me to be depressed about. Like, I was like, I just got my master's degree. I was like, I just recently started a business. I was like, I'm having all of these awesome opportunities. Like, what is there for me to be depressed about? And I, I felt bad, you know, when I when I got the diagnosis. But at the same time, I I remember 
um, moments throughout my childhood of having this very like um, empty feeling or just being um, suicidal, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I just had moments of being suicidal uh, throughout. I realized looking back that a lot of times I would have that, you know, feel suicidal around the time, like when my mom would get into um, a fight with, with my sibling's dad, with my mom being in an abusive relationship. So I do believe mm -hmm. with um, experiencing that trauma and watching your mom be verbally and physically abused, I know that that has contributed to my depression and me not mm -hmm. getting treated ever since I was like maybe 12 or 13 when it first started happening. Mm -hmm. I didn't see a therapist until I was like 24. So that's what, 11 years of not getting any help. So I was like, okay, there's something more that has to be going on with this because if every time I feel, and I, I realized like as I became an adult, my brain, it would automatically go to like suicide anytime like I became like overwhelmed with life or if there was like, yeah, if there was like so much going on and I couldn't handle it. My That was like a automatic um, I guess, response that would happen uh, internally for me. And I didn't realize that that wasn't normal until I started going to therapy. And my therapist was like, well, why is it that, you know, you, you your brain automatically goes to the to the extreme, you know? And so it's, I, I think it's really important that people understand that it is just not, um, it's not always just because of one particular thing. So I was really glad that you said, you know, so a person television show or the store running out of your favorite chips is really <laughs> not going <laughs> to, you're not really Very depressed. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad that I have a, a mental health professional to uh, vouch for me. <laughs> exactly. and, and even just asking you, can you talk a bit about like how much of trauma is even rooted um, in depression and even uh, define trauma for people who don't know what it is? Mm -hmm. I'm glad you mentioned trauma because as you were talking, I was just thinking like trauma, trauma, trauma. <laughs> like there was so much trauma that you you just referenced, and um, I wanted to make note of that because I think you know, like we just said, sadness about is about you know being sad about something. And I could see maybe someone might be listening and thinking, well, she was sad about the situation with her parents, and it, how, what is that? And so I would say that that was trauma you know there might have been some trauma that had went on with seeing the things happening with your parents and when trauma isn't addressed and isn't treated properly that then can definitely contribute to depression so with trauma trauma is any I like to explain it to my clients as like a mental or emotional assault um, it can even be a physical assault but I think I like to bring up the mental or emotional part because with physical assault to the body um, or when our bodies are hurt, we can easily see that there has been some sort of trauma, but we forget about the emotional and the mental assault that happens. So like if we are in a emotionally abusive relationship or if we witness our parents' domestic violence, but we ourselves were never physically harmed, we can still be traumatized by those experiences emotionally. And so with that, that trauma, if it's not treated, if it's not addressed, it leads to feelings of overwhelm. It can lead to you being more fearful. It can lead to anxiety about relationships or um, certain things that might trigger memories of the trauma. 
And so, again, if these things aren't addressed, they definitely easy roll right into depression, and then you're dealing with another problem. Yes, especially, you know, because a lot of times people don't even realize that they've experienced a trauma. They're just kind of going on with their life, and sometimes trauma is normalized depending on what their upbringing, you know, is or was. And they wouldn't even put two and two together because I remember having a conversation with my mom and and telling her how it, you know, how me experiencing that, how it impacted me. Um, And even with, you know, I'm very vocal on the podcast about with my dad, uh, my, my father being absent and in and out of jail and using drugs and selling drugs. So I had that always wanting my dad to come home and always needing and wanting that validation from my father. So I, or being disappointed because he wasn't there. And then I had this other, you know, this relationship that my mom was in and um, being abused by, you know, someone. And so I often explained to her how those really truly shaped the person that I've become. And mm-hmm. I, my, my friends would always uh, say to me like you know why are you why do you always get so worked up or or why are you always on edge but for a child who has been in, in, an, in an environment that has seemed very uneasy or unpredictable it's quite it's it's apparent that that would be my natural response to to things so exactly. it's it's you know it's taken a lot for me to get to where I am you know doing the work um, in therapy and so I think what I actually want you to, I'm not going to even, I'm going to ask you the question as far as the biggest misconceptions about depression and why do you think depression is so like minimized and people don't actually understand the severity of it? They just think someone can just suck it up or get over it, or it's not that big of a deal. Like, where does it, where do you think that comes from? Mm-hmm. I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, you know, I think I mostly speculate about this, um, and a few things came to mind, you know, like one you were saying is just so normalized, like um, people have experiences, especially within black communities or um, communities um, with like lower SES or maybe communities that have gone through like traumas, these experiences are normal. So maybe um, neighborhood violence or domestic violence or even depression, people don't realize that they've been experiencing these things and they just think, oh, this is just life. Um, but they've never had someone like a mental health professional to actually come to them and say, you know, actually, this is not ideal, and this is causing some harm to you mentally and emotionally, and there is another way to experience life, or there is another way that you could feel, and it would feel different. I don't think people realize that because, you know, many times these experiences that people have that are full of trauma are just part of their life, and so they don't they don't realize it. And I think that's one reason why a lot of times these things are dismissed um, because then we'll get a lot of people saying things like, you know, just suck it up. That's life. Or, you know, just, just shake it off because that's what they think is the solution, but it's not. But also I think another part of it is that 
Uh, and again, especially in black communities, I see this often like the idea of being depressed or the idea of being um, traumatized or hurt emotionally. Um, there is this assumption of weakness that's attributed to that. It's, you know, it's like um, you're supposed to be stronger than that. You're supposed to be able to mm-hmm. overcome anything. And, and this especially we tell black men or well, black women, but black men too, honestly, that, you know, you're, we're strong people. We've overcome a lot. So you can overcome this little thing, especially this thing that nobody can see. You know, you should be able to overcome this. And that's just not true. It's not true at all. So those are the two things that really stand out to me about why depression and uh, um trauma or being traumatized, those things are dismissed because of those those two phenomena that I think happen a lot. Yes, absolutely. Especially in our community because we've been traumatized from the moment we were stripped of our culture and, and forced to take a new culture on and forced to work and being mm-hmm. taken, you know, our families being ripped apart back from slavery and it's just we have a history of trauma just in this country as a whole and so we're so used to it and even and I'm pretty sure that you can you have learned and you've seen in your your line of work that trauma can be generational like it can be passed down and that's what people don't actually realize like, mm-hmm. and, and people will say like, oh, girl, that happened to me when I was a kid. Like, and this is how I, and this is how I handled it. And I turned out fine. And the question that I propose is, did you really turn out fine? Like, right. you know, because it's like everything that we experience in life, it truly does shape the person that we are and how we navigate the world, how we view the world, how we manage our relationships or don't manage our relationships. Like it truly does shape us. And, and I think about that. And and there was even, um, I went to a mental health conference that was taught, um, by a mental health professional who was, um, she's also a minister. And she was talking about how science has even shown that, trauma can actually not only does it alter the chemistry in your brain but it can be passed down through like birth and and those are things that I think people kind of negate because we're just so used to it Mm -hmm. most definitely um there's a really good book by Dr. Joy DeGruy um and that's D-E-G-R-U-Y post-traumatic slave syndrome um and in it she just talks about the just phenomenal amounts of traumas that black communities have gone through starting with being stripped away from their homelands and ripping cultures from them being separated from families and then moving into slavery for so many years and then after that still being traumatized and abused by society and at never at any point was there any mental health support or any mental health professionals to come in and do any recovery and so that trauma those experiences of trauma have just continually been embedded into our culture 
our Black culture and our parenting practices and in the way that we do our relationships. And it is just embedded into us. And, of course, it makes perfect sense to me how that can then be um, embedded into our DNA and into our genes and then passed down passed down to our children and our grandchildren um, genetically, but then also just socially um, in the way we raise our kids and the ways that we mm-hmm. interact with each other is continually passed down. So trauma is passed down in so many different ways. And um, I'm glad you referenced that as the intergenerational trauma. Um, we see that with all communities. But in that book, it's talked about in reference to black communities, but also there's a lot of research done um, with like Holocaust survivors and, and intergenerational trauma, but then also with um, Cambodian families. There's so much research done on how trauma is continually passed down and if it doesn't stop it'll continue to be passed down and so that's why it's really important you know for at some point for somebody in the generation to just be like you know what hold up I'm gonna go to therapy and I'm gonna get some of this worked out so that so much of it isn't continually passed down yes and it when you were talking it immediately made me think about how after I was uh, released from the psychiatric unit and I was going through treatment through what they have in the state of Maryland called the partial hospitalization program. And I remember talking to my, my paternal grandfather and I was telling him what happened. And I said, you know, I was forced into the hospital because, you know, I tried to end my life and I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping or I would sleep too much. There was like no consistency. You know, when I got to the hospital, I was dehydrated. I just told him I had really no concept of time or really like all that was going on. And then my grandfather said to me, well, you know, when I was 14, you know, I I tried to end my life too. And I said, Mm -hmm. oh, you did. And then he said, yeah. And then he just said, you know, but, you know, but you'll be fine or whatever. And that was the end of it. And, And it made me think about, I said, so why what, why aren't we having these conversations much sooner? Why wait until I have this experience and tell me? And then he also told me, he said, oh, well, your uncle, he was, we, ha- we just recently had to force him to be committed into the hospital because he has schizophrenia. And I said, so you mean to tell me there's a, a line of, there's mental illness that's happening in the family and no one's talking about it. And that's the problem. We don't talk about it. Because it's like, oh, that's just crazy such and such or, you know, that uncle or that aunt or that cousin or whoever that is, they kind of stay in the back room to themselves. And someone was talking about, um, you know what, they they use the perfect example of, do you, you remember the movie Soul Food? Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how they would... They think it would be safe to say that Uncle Pete was experiencing some type of mental illness because he never came out. And (laughs) and I was like, you know what? That's a really good point. I never thought about it. We never actually saw Uncle Pete, but people kind of cared for him. They just kind of they made sure he ate. They still talked about him. You know, he existed, but it was just like that's kind of like what we do. We just kind of navigate and maneuver through life. And we know that the person who's mentally ill is there. We'll take care of them the best that we can, but we really don't talk about it. And I think what if we start having the conversation about suicide or mental health um, early and you introduce it to your family early so that way they know what to do. They know what resources are available. And 
because we are quick to talk about no sex before marriage or the birds and the bees, whatever you want to call it. But mental health is not a part of that, um, that conversation. So mm-hmm. it, it's always very interesting to me. Yep. I wish that we would have the conversation more because then it could just be a normal conversation. Like I, it would, I think we would benefit so much and our children would benefit so much if we normalize these conversations in the family. And especially if these things are happening anyways, like you said, I think you said it was your grandfather talked about the experience of wanting to end his life. It would have been amazing for y'all to have this talk before you try to end your life, you know? And I definitely can resonate with the part of like, um, I think this happens in a lot of families, but I always say black families just because that's my, my experience. Um, there's always that, you know, old Uncle Joe or, you know, crazy aunt, May, whatever. And we always just say, you know, they're just crazy or they just, you know, in their own place or whatever. But if we really, really look at it for what it really is, it's likely that these people that we love and care for, but that we kind of dismiss as being crazy, there's probably some sort of mental health condition that has gone untreated and unaddressed because, we don't talk about it or because we don't see it in that way. You know, I have a, a uncle in my family too, similar, you know, he doesn't really go or leave the room or leave the house. And, you know, I've, I've talked to my family many times, like, you know, I think this might be this, but for whatever reason, there's this block or this resistance to that type of conversation. And so I think I see that happening so much. And it, it's really amazing to me. But I never thought about the special wrestling. Like, of course, it makes so much sense. Of course, there was something going on with Uncle Pete. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, so w- w- when you think about, you know, just the, kind of the whole, you know, the purpose of the conversation is like of depression. That mm-hmm. could be, very, uh, Uncle Pete could have very well been going through a depression. Because when you see mm-hmm. about, I, it's, he was very much so isolated. We never heard mm-hmm. him talk. And I think about when I was in, you know, going through my depression, I was barely talking to anyone. I was, well, I really didn't eat. I did not take a bath. So y'all know a girl was funky. Um, <laughs> it was, it was, yeah. Like when I think one of the things people can, when they think about trying to decipher the two is with depression, there's usually um, a change in like behavior. So if you happen mm-hmm. to, you notice that a person who was They, for instance, maybe I always went to the, you know, I went to my favorite gym class on Tuesdays and then you notice, okay, well, she hasn't been going to her gym class. Um, She, she's been calling out of work a lot. When you start noticing a a change in behavior, those are usually kind of signs to look out for if the person's being Mm -hmm. really isolated and secluded with sadness. I mean, you could be secluded, but you usually like come back around, you know, And so I think that's really what people kind of have to decipher now. We're not telling anyone to go and diagnose themselves. You need to go and speak with a mental health professional so that you can be properly diagnosed. But the point of the conversation is just really to get the wheels turning so people can start to identify and see is, am I just feeling, you know, just just a bad day versus is this actual depression? And Mm -hmm. there's something that, I've actually heard, I was actually having this conversation with 
um, someone who I went to college with about she also battles with depression and as well as generalized anxiety disorder. And she was ta- we were talking about the difference between situational depression versus clinical depression. And she was basically saying how it's very it's very interesting how she had little uh, what's the word, I guess, remorse, I guess it is for some people who who was just going through situational depression because she felt like they couldn't understand what it's like to be like to struggle with depression like your whole life because she's been struggling with it since she was like five or seven years old. And so, I mean, to each his own, but I, I think it's 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 worth noting and having a conversation about for someone who may not know the difference between the two. I agree. I totally agree. And I'm I'm glad you reiterated that point. There's definitely a change in behavior. There's other things with depression too, like a decrease in mood, um, or like you mentioned earlier, not um, fulfilling all of your, we call them activities of daily living. So bathing, eating, um, other things that kind of keep you functioning, falling off on those things, not being able to sleep, feeling tired, sluggish, um, feelings of guilt are also associated with depression, um, trouble thinking, but then also thoughts of dying or thoughts of suicide. All of that is wrapped up into depression um, and, again, very different from sadness. But I remember when I made that tweet, the tweet that you were talking about, um, one of the things I well, one of the reasons why I did that, which maybe we can talk about this too, is um, yes, I wanted people to understand the difference, but I also wanted people to understand that it's okay to feel sad sometimes. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. what I was experiencing as a clinician at a counseling center, a college counseling center, is that I would have a lot of students come in and say, you know, yeah, this thing is going on, and I just don't feel good about it. Um and so I would talk to them, and we would determine that they don't have depression, you know, but they, what they wanted was they wanted a cure for how to not feel sad. And I, I had to really be very honest with a lot of students that came to see me and just like, this is a sad situation. And so, of course, you feel sad right now about this. That is normal. And there is nothing that I do right now in this room to make you not feel sad about something that is sad. You know, I had to do a lot of normalizing of the emotion of sadness and that sadness is a healthy part of life and, you know, that life can't always be happiness or life, it's unrealistic to think that, you know, when unfortunate things happen in our life that we're not going to feel sad about it. You know, it's, it's an uncomfortable feeling, but it's also a very necessary feeling. And so I remember me being in that space and kind of being frustrated, like, I just wanted to shake people like, it's okay to be sad. It's it's part of life. And so that's something I think about a lot too. And that's true. You know, what you said, as far as like sadness is completely fine. You know, we would never want someone to think that because they're not clinically depressed, that their sadness isn't valid. It's just important that we, we know the difference between the two. So that way we can accurately state what we're feeling. You know, and I think that's important because a lot of time people use words or emotions to explain what they're feeling, but they can sometimes be used incorrectly. And one of the things that I was doing when I was in the partial hospitalization program is we had this sheet that they gave us and it had Lord knows how many emotions. And every day we had to check in to say what we were feeling. 
And it was hard. Like it, you may think, oh, it's just easy. I'm just feeling happy. I'm feeling sad. But no, like there were, I don't know how many emotions on there. And I really had to sit and think before, you know, check in with myself. How is it that I'm feeling? Is this sadness? No, I'm actually feeling anxious versus sad or I'm actually feeling angry or disappointed, you know? And I think that's really where a lot of times we just kind of throw these emotions around, but we don't really actually know what, what it means or to, to, I guess, to experience that particular emotion. And so I've always, um, you know, use that as a point of reference for me to actually to check in to see how my mood is being diagnosed, you know, with clinical depression and even just kind of going back a bit to is this something that you've you've done or you've worked on in your line of work? Or I don't know if there's a different way that it's um, diagnosed or how would it. So if if a client comes to you and they are I guess one versus clinically depressed versus like someone experienced, I guess, situational depression. I guess some people would call that maybe a situational if they're like, if they can pinpoint it to something. Do you think that's what it is? Like it's say, for instance, if they're going through a divorce or they lost their job or someone passed away, like they can pinpoint the situation. Um, what, what has, how do you explain that? Or what has, what have you learned throughout your line of work? So I, so honestly, in my line of work, I don't use the term situational depression at all. I don't, I don't use that often. Um, one, because a lot of times if I'm going to diagnose, I stick to, you know, when as a psychologist, I use the DSM, the, I forget mm-hmm. the terminology, but you know what I mean. The yes, DSM, the diagnostic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know. Big book that psychologists and other mental health professionals use to diagnose someone. It's like the Bible. Exactly. <laughs> it's like the Bible of mental health conditions. And it's not the only one, but that's the one that psychologists tend to use a lot. Um, and in there, there's, there isn't something called situational depression. It's, it's, and there's not even like um, clinical depression. That's not even a, a correct term, but we use that a lot. And so what I would say is that I pretty much stick to the diagnostic criteria that is in that book. And Mm -hmm. so it it very much falls in line with some of the things that we just said about, you know, if you are depressed, there has to be a time period of at least two weeks. And Mm -hmm. it say, you know, you have to have at least five of the following symptoms in this two-week period, and that is indicative of a major depressive disorder. That's the terminology that I I generally use. And so um, a lot of times with people with, you know, major depressive disorder, for example, sometimes there is a a pinpoint or like a a situation that triggered it, and sometimes Mm -hmm. it's not. So I don't really look at those two and separate them in terms of diagnosing. You know, the diagnosis doesn't really have much to do with that. It might change the way that I treat. Like, for example, Mm -hmm. if I have someone who comes in and I give them major depressive disorder and they say, yeah, there's nothing that triggered this, there's nothing happening that made this happen, then my treatment approach might be a little bit more um, helping them to learn strategies of how to implement things into life that could bring more happiness, or it might 
involve um, doing some things that can help them to change their perspective a little bit on life. But if I have another client who's coming in and there's a situation like a divorce or um, a breakup or whatever, and they still meet criteria for major depressive disorder, then I might change my approach and focus a little bit more on the situation. So it doesn't necessarily change the diagnosis, but it'll change how I work with them in therapy, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. It does. It does. Thank you for explaining that. Yeah. Um, But also, too, I think it it gets tricky and complicated. Um, Sometimes there might be someone who I, they might meet criteria for major depressive disorder, and they do have a situation. And sometimes that situation is really important because it can tell me more about the diagnosis. Like if they tell me, oh, the situation that triggered this is that my partner physically abused me, and then we, that led to a fight, then that makes me think, okay, is this not only depression, but is there some trauma? Do I need to be looking at post-traumatic stress disorder? Do I need to look at acute stress disorder? So it is important to know if there's a situation, um, but in terms of thinking about depression and the diagnosis of the depression, it depends on whether that will change the diagnosis or not, but it definitely changes the treatment approaches. Yeah, I think it's important that you noted that because... There are instances where people, like you said, they do know they can pinpoint it, and there's instances where they can't. Um, I've been on both ends of the spectrum where there were times where I would go and I would sit with my therapist and I would say, this could possibly be why, but then I would discover, well, that's actually not it. It's something else. And so that's Mm -hmm. why it's always great to go see a mental health professional because trying to that's the point of you know they're trained to help you to work through this because you can't figure it out on your own Uh, trust me I've tried it 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 doesn't work so I you know can attest to the power of therapy when you have I guess a good therapist who knows what they're doing and can really actually get you to you know the other side It, it takes time don't expect to go to one session and be like so how long is this going to take? Is this going to take three months, six months, or are you going to go to your first section and then you're going to like kind of basically, they kind of use it like, I guess people use vomit, which is kind of gross, but like spill everything out in the first session and be like, whoo, I got all of that out. Okay. I feel good. Cause I just tell people all the time, like therapy don't work like that. So no. you, it, it it truly does take time, especially when there's trauma involved. It depends, you know, like if you were just going to help maybe deal with everyday stressors or set boundaries, maybe things that are like that can maybe take a bit less time. But, you know, again, like I said, I was didn't get treatment for a very long time. So I'm, I'm almost at I'm about two and a half years in with my therapist. So I relatively that's it could seem like a long time to someone but in actuality it's not there were times where I would see my therapist once a week and then when I felt like okay we would talk about it and she would say you know have you thought about maybe you're doing pretty well you have you considered maybe every other week instead so we flop through kind of that and then there's different things I'm you know when you're learning your triggers and how to respond and it's just it's just so it goes into so much more detail than people actually, I guess, realize. And even just kind of 
switching gears a bit to talk just a little bit about anxiety because major depressive or clinical depression, they go hand in hand. There are other people who, who have the diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder, but I, I think I actually wanted your help for, to explain the difference between someone having like just a moment of anxiety versus actually being diagnosed with an anxiety disorder and just not limited to because generalized anxiety disorder is just one um, type okay. of anxiety disorder. There are other anxiety disorders. So how can someone know like, you know, maybe they're they're feeling anxious because they are getting ready to take a big test or they're about to get married. But how do you know if it's just that moment of anxiety versus actually being a disorder? Yeah. So, again, it's very similar to the, the conversation we just had about sadness versus depression with the anxiety disorder versus a moment of anxiety a moment of anxiety is about something, like it's about this test that I'm about to take or it's about this big thing that I'm about to do. Whereas generalized anxiety disorder, for example, there is anxiety about everything, even things that are not there. <laughs> it's everything. It's pervasive. That's a really good word to describe. It's pervasive. Generalized anxiety disorder is pervasive. Um, it's about everything. And so... Mm-hmm. Wait, I... I the one thing I wanted you to kind of just draw back a bit on, because you said even things that aren't there, can you also kind of elaborate on that? Yes. So sometimes with anxiety disorders, we will experience anxiety or fear about things that maybe could happen in the future or that things that we think are happening, but that aren't happening. For instance, maybe um, there might be someone who is in a new relationship, Um, but because of their anxiety disorder, they might be thinking, oh, but my partner's going to cheat on me, or my partner doesn't really like me, or my partner is probably just doing this just because they feel sorry for me. All of these what-ifs and all of these imaginary situations that in reality are not happening at this very moment. And so there is a lot of anxiety about things that are not really happening, Um, or that maybe they could happen in the future, but there's no way for us to know if that is really the case. So there's a lot of time spent with um, entertaining the what-ifs of our lives or entertaining the different scenarios of our future that could happen or might not ever happen. That's Mm -hmm. what an anxiety disorder will do as well. Yes. Oh my. It, it it just made me think about the time I was at the hospital and I remember, and, and this is why it's so important because no one knows you like you know you. So I remember telling the doctors that, you know, I, I needed something, you know, because I was experiencing really bad anxiety. And the psychiatrist was like, no, we're just giving you something for for the depression to help with the suicidal thoughts. And so, okay, fine, you know, pass. And, and I go and I come back a week later and then I'm at this time the it's another psychiatrist because I had transitioned to another program in the hospital and she said why are you you know why are you shaking and I said I'm not shaking she said no you are shaking why are you shaking your legs moving and I said oh I don't know and she said you know something going on I said um I said I don't know and then um I said and she said well I'm, I'm gonna give you something to help with your anxiety And literally, like, I'm not kidding. A couple hours later after I took the medicine, I was like, I was like, 
oh, this how it feel not to this how it feel to be mellowed out. Like I just mm. literally, I always walked around like being on edge. I can remember going back to being like 13 years old. Like I just went through life being anxious all of the time. Like I didn't even know that it wasn't normal for people to walk around like I did. Like it's something I can't really explain, but I just was always literally worked up. And I remember one of my friends in high school and she was like, and we were talking about it like maybe a month ago and she was like, yeah, Kia, you always was worked up in high school. Like all the time people people would call it dramatic but like I was literally always on edge and I couldn't control it and people be like girl calm down like why are you so worried about everything and I would be like y'all I can't like I don't know how you know and so Mm -hmm. when I took the medication I was like oh my gosh y'all this feels awesome (laughs) so I just did it So, but, you know, that helped with the symptoms. And then now in therapy, now I'm able to like have strategies to help with that. But before my therapist even said, she said, Takiya, I I can't even, I can't help you. And, you know, I think Mm -hmm. that you will make more progress if you were to get some assistance from medication because your anxiety and depression is so bad that you can't even make any progress in therapy. Yep, exactly. And I, you know, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's, so thinking about my clients that have had generalized anxiety disorder, it just hit me that they have been some of the mm, more challenging cases initially, because a lot of times people with generalized anxiety disorder, they don't realize it. They just know Mm -hmm. that they are Um, but they they think that's normal. And so, you know, the mental health professional is trying to explain to them, like, you know, this experience that you've always had, it's it's not something that has to be. There's another way. And so there's a lot of resistance to the idea of taking medication for generalized anxiety disorder. Again, because I think in, like, popular culture or in society, we kind of just think of anxiety as, like, this thing that you can just shake off or just, just go relax, go sit down somewhere, but it's not. And with generalized anxiety disorder, I I think that people have the most success when they're taking medication, to be very honest, because even in therapy, I've had to tell a client, like, look, I can't do anything with you right now because your anxiety is so intense that you're not even taking in the strategies that we could be working on. And so we need something to bring you down to another level so that you then can take in some of the strategies that we we can learn in therapy together. But yeah, I've, I've had so many people who finally were open to medication for generalized anxiety disorder, and they said the same thing. They just said, oh, wow, I feel so much better, and I had no idea that there could be another way to feel, because they had been walking through life feeling so uptight and so tense and so irritable, um, so on edge, and, and they didn't even realize that that wasn't that wasn't the experience that they had to have. It, it's mm-hmm. so interesting. Yeah, man, I, I was like, <laughs> I was in, it, it, when I realized the medicine was uh, kicking in, I was watching TV, and I was like, <laughs> it was probably I've never, you know done marijuana so I don't know what that it what it's like to be high but I just had a moment of like yo y'all this is awesome like because <laughs> I just didn't know so it, it isn't and I remember actually a friend of mine saying like girl just just smoke some weed and you'll be fine but I'm like well to each his own 
You know, mm -hmm. I can't tell because because some people can say that it very may well work for them. But I also know that for me, that wasn't something that I wanted, you know, that wasn't something that I wanted to do. You know, I was like, let me just try to work with, my, you know, my my therapist and the psychiatrist to kind of see if this will kind of help mellow me out. Um, and now, you know, I always say my goal is not to be on the, the medication for the rest of my life. Um, and I do have, you know, working with my doctors and my therapist to help me get to the point where I have the things in place so I can make sure that I'm comfortable and kind of weaning me off because I did have an incident where I stopped taking my medication and then it went downhill from there. Anxiety was through mm -hmm. the roof and then I was back into a depression. And so it is, I can attest to say that medication does work. And I was very, very resistant. I was so resistant. Mm -hmm. The first time I was like, no, why do I have to take something to make me feel normal? Like I can do this on my own. But then I realized actually, in my case, I couldn't. I, I was just struggling all the time. And so I realized a lot of that through therapy, a lot of my anxiety was built in. I didn't know when like my mom or I call it my siblings dad would like get into an argument or into a fight. And so that left me feeling very tense. So that meant that feeling that I started experiencing as a child within the house, I carried that those emotions and that experience even outside of the house like in school and in relationships and it just kind of trickled down into every single area of my life it wasn't until therapy that I was like oh that's where that stemmed from and so now I have to kind of work through that and so um what do you recommend um and we kind of talked on it a bit but uh best treatment options for both um, depression and um, anxiety disorders, especially because those two are like two of the most common uh, yeah. mental illnesses. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I, and of course, you know, I know you are too, just a huge advocate of therapy. <laughs> just, just go to therapy, please. Just go to therapy. Um, I always encourage people, you know, if you've never done anything with regard to mental health, therapy is a good place to start um, because sometimes it might be intimidating or unnecessary actually to jump right into medication, but working with a therapist, then you'll be able to really learn, you know, okay, is therapy sufficient for what's going on for me or, or do I need some extra help with medication? So I would just definitely advocate for and encourage people to seek mental health therapy whether you think you have a clinical diagnosis or you don't, all around very helpful. In terms of specific therapeutic approaches, I'm not really one that advocates for one over the other. There's a, there's so many different ways that therapists and mental health professionals work. Like some people like to do cognitive behavioral therapy and some people like to do relational therapy. Some people like to do psychodynamic. I think they all work. They all have benefits. They all work. Really, the important part is finding the right mental health professional that works for you. And so it, it's not necessarily about their approach, but more so, does it feel comfortable? Does it feel comfortable to sit with this person? Does it feel comfortable to be here? And not comfortable as in, like, everything we're talking about feels good, but do I trust this person or do I feel like this person is is knowledgeable and does this person want to get to know me that's what I mean when I say does this feel comfortable 
Um, but really, I, I would just advocate and push for therapy. But also, in addition to that, self-care, like I'm always talking about taking care of yourself. And this is something that ideally you'll learn in therapy, but also you can be doing on your own outside of therapy to further enhance your therapy experience. And so self-care looks different for everybody, and it can be as simple as making sure that you're eating three times a day, drinking water, or it can be as elaborate as reading five books a month. You know, I don't know. It's it's really dependent on what you feel like you need to take the very best care of yourself or whatever it is, making sure that you do it. Absolutely. I'm a huge component, of course, for self-care. And even just, I just really want to thank you for helping me dive into this conversation, but I cannot let you go without you sharing about your podcast, A Different Perspective, and really what led to the birth of that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, So I am also a podcaster, fellow podcaster. My podcast is called A Different Perspective Podcast. I've been podcasting for about a year and a half now, I believe, and I started it I guess right when I first got licensed as a psychologist in 2016, early 2016. And it really was, one, because I had a lot of time on my hands. But two, I wanted there to be a space for Black people and communities of color to to receive mental health information from a mental health professional. Um, But also a way that it wasn't so technical, it wasn't so clinical, just regular, you know, and so that was what that was. But also, um, I've I've said this before, and I have it on my website, it was a place for me to, to make space for my voice, because in the mental health profession, well, in psychology specifically, as licensed psychologists, only 5% of psychologists identify as Black or African American, um, and about 2.5% of those are Black women. And so being in grad school and being around my colleagues, I'm always different. I'm always different because I'm a Black woman or um, I'm a person of color. And so I, I wanted there to be a space where there could be a different type of voice speaking to mental health or a different perspective on what mental health is. And that's just kind of how it came out. So now I, I podcast right now. My schedule is every other week releasing episodes. Um, at this very moment, I'm doing a Black male and mental health series. So I'm releasing a lot of episodes um, of interviews of Black male mental health professionals. And we're just talking about mental health for Black men. But I've got some other episodes coming up. I want to do one on meditation. And I do a lot of things about self-care. So hopefully people can tune into that. Yes, I am a listener of your podcast, so I tend to tweet you every now and then when I enjoy an episode. I'm like, girl, this is good. So I'm always, of course, about I love um, listening to podcasts. It's one of my favorite things to do. And mm-hmm. if anyone wants to connect with you, how can they find you? Um, so I tend to be on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Amber Thornton, Dr. Amber Thornton. Um, also, I have a website, www.dramberthornton.com. Also, I have a Facebook page at Dr. Amber Thornton. I, I'm not on there as much, but that's another place that people can find me too. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I'll be sure to leave your social media handles and your website. I'll leave all of that in the show notes so people can refer back to it. And again, you know, Amber, I really, really appreciate you taking time out of your day to 
join me on the podcast to help people really understand the difference between depression and sadness and a moment of anxiety versus being an anxiety disorder so that we're just educated on it and um, we can know what to do or or even if we're not experiencing it, you know, we see it maybe in someone else and pointing them in the right direction to seek help from a mental health professional. So thank you so much, Amber. Oh, no problem. Thank you. All right, y'all. So for this week's therapist shout out, it is Group Therapy Associates, and they are based in the Washington, D.C. area. And they have actually I'm connected with one of the therapists on Twitter Esther Boykin, she is a marriage and family therapist. So if you're looking for a marriage and family therapist, you may want to definitely check out Group of Therapy Associates. And also Erica Turner, who is also a marriage and family therapist, as well as David Wynn. He is a clinical psychologist. And we also have Kristen Helener, which is she is a clinical social worker And they, again, are based in the DMV area. I wanted to shout them out because they are doing, of course, some great work in the D.C. area, which is where I'm located. I'm connected with them on Twitter, and I just wanted to share that resource with you all. So if you are in the D.C. area and you're looking for a therapist, you can definitely check them out. They offer not just counseling, but they do classes and they do relationship and premarital counseling. So if that's something that you're looking for, feel free to check them out. And y'all know that I will leave the information in the show notes. So for this week's Mind, Body, and Soulness segment, I have a resource that I want to share with you all. Y'all know I'm huge on Dismantling the Mental Health Stigma, it's what my life mission is. And the resource that I really want to share with you is the Affirm Podcast. The Affirm Podcast is created by Davia, and she actually recently just moved to the DMV area, so I'm super excited because I really look forward to us collaborating on some great projects. But her podcast, the Affirm Podcast, is all about mental health and wellness for women of color which is great. I know I have a lot of women who listen to the podcast and I do have some men, but we have more women who listen to the podcast. And so I'm always working to get more men to listen to the podcast and eventually have some topics that are geared towards them and to give them an opportunity to share their story. But since there are so many women who listen to the podcast, I wanted to share that resource with you so that you cannot just listen, tune into my podcast week after week, but again, you can listen to the Affirm podcast, and I'll be sure to leave the website in the show notes, but the website is redefinedenough.com. Again, that's redefinedenough.com, and when Davia asked y'all, how did y'all hear about the podcast, y'all let her know that Kia of the Fireflies Unite podcast told you about the Affirm podcast. All right, y'all, so for announcements, we are what a week and a half away from save our babies and i wanted to encourage you that if you are not in the dc area and you cannot attend but if you're able to make a donation by purchasing a ticket for 15 dollars, a portion of the proceeds will be going to the national alliance on mental illness the prince george's county chapter and i know that some of you who listen to the podcast 
are not in the DC area. But if you really wanted to find a way to help and contribute to dismantling the mental stick, the mental health stigma, and also helping with resources to support those with mental illness, you can definitely purchase a ticket and I could someone who can't attend or they don't have the money that ticket can go to them but that money will, again will also be donated to the national alliance on mental illness so thank you so much oh so i forgot i wanted to let y'all know that i did not forget about the book club for jennifer lewis's book as she struggled with her book title is the mother of black hollywood and there were a few of us who read the book I actually have two people who i'm working on coordinating with their schedule so we can actually talk about it. So I that was the purpose of us reading the book. One, because she uh, struggles with bipolar disorder and sex addiction, which we've actually had episodes on. So feel free to check that out. But I just wanna let y'all know, I did not forget about us discussing it on the podcast. It's just really hard trying to coordinate it with everyone's schedule, but that will be happening, so stay tuned. I also want to send a huge thank you to every single person who signed up and auditioned for This Is My Brave. We had a lot of auditions. Auditions has finally wrapped and we are getting ready. We're actually putting our cast together and we are almost done with that. So I'm super excited. The show will not be until October, but it's great to be on the other side because for those of you who don't know, I was a cast member for This Is My Brave back in March. And you guys were so amazing to me because y'all helped me raise the most money and I sold the most tickets. So I just love my family and my Fireflies Unite family. So thank you so much for helping me. And now I'm on the producing side. And it's great because I'm able to use my production background. My degree from Howard University is in radio, television, and film production. So it's great to be able to use my production degree to produce this show and produce this podcast so I'm super excited about that and I'm trying to think what else I have so many great things going on y'all I even want to be just transparent y'all I had a day last week when was it last Wednesday I think it was I talked about no it was not last Wednesday it was last Tuesday I had a day where I just y'all I was not feeling it because there's a chance that my car may be totaled and I thought that I only needed a bumper a front and back bumper but actually there's a chance that my car may be total so y'all I had a moment I was crying and I even posted about it on social media and one of the things that I did I actually had to I vent I did vent about it to my friends and I cried after I cried I also had to go to therapy so I talked to my therapist about it and then when I came home what I did was for me I'm reading a devotional by Joyce Meyer, which is the battlefield of the mind, the devotional, not the book, but I did read the book too, but I'm reading the devotional and it has truly helped me to remind me of my faith, to give me some encouraging words. And I also was journaling and I have a journal that I purchased from uh, Tatum Tamia, who is the creator and the producer and host of the Blessed and Bossed Up podcast. If y'all haven't noticed by now, my life is full of podcasting not just I mean by producing this podcast but I only mainly listen to a lot of podcasts and just read books um that's what I've been doing but um because I get great insight I'm really big on growing and developing and becoming the best version of myself I want to be the best that I can be mentally physically and spiritually and so on so yeah so I just try to make sure everything that I'm listening to 
uh, I'm watching on television, which I really don't watch too much of. And the people that I'm surrounding with is benefiting my mental health. And so I kind of got off on the tangent a bit. But yes, I came home. And after I finished crying, going to therapy and talking to my friends, I started reading the devotional and I started journaling. And then I just said, okay, I had my moment. And then I had to remind myself that everything is going to work out. Even if it doesn't work out how I want it to work out, it's going to work out in my best interest because that's what I believe. And it's super hard when you have a mental illness because you, it's like when life events happen, usually it's like your mental illness it maximizes that event it like amplifies it it's like it seems so huge like it's the end of the world and i had a moment i was also feeling very overwhelmed you know i'm currently pursuing a certification i'm you know working on this podcast i have been sick i was in the car accident i'm producing uh the save our babies event i'm producing the this is my brave show I'm also a communications consultant, so I have two clients that I work with. So y'all, I work a lot of hours. I work way more than 40 hours a week. And I just started crying because I was so overwhelmed. I was so overwhelmed. But then I had to shift my focus because Patrice Washington, we've had her as a guest on the podcast. And she talked about what you magnify, magnetize. And what she means by that is the thing that we focus on it's what's going to get bigger like because we're feeding so much energy into it and that energy that we put out there i truly believe the energy that we put out comes back to us and so i don't say that i don't say this to say that we can't have our moment yes we can have our moment we can cry we can scream we can shout we can be angry it is okay to do those things because we're human like we have to get it out i'm not saying not to do that because i certainly did it but it's We can't stay there. We cannot stay there. And so if you find yourself not being able to like get over something or like to, you find that this thing is lingering over your head, you can't get out your mind and it's preventing you from eating, it's preventing you from going to work, it's stopping you from getting things done, it's interrupting your daily activities, then you might want to go see a therapist. You might want to uh, check, check out a mental health professional while I knew that therapy was working for me because I had the moment and after I had my moment, I let it go. Typically, before I was in therapy and actually really active in my treatment, y'all, things I would literally hold on to things for months, sometimes years. I occasionally kind of, I do occasionally still have things that I hold on to, but for the most part, I don't hold on to as nearly as much as I used to before, not even half probably not even a third I'm doing so much better and so I just wanted to share that with y'all because so many people could look at me on social media and be like oh she got it all together y'all I don't I really don't like I'm in a transition for you who listen to the podcast y'all know that I moved out of my apartment and I moved in with my friend because I was having a relapse um and now I'm doing very well very very well but I'm also transitioning and in the process of you know figuring out what my next steps will be as far as finding a new apartment since I left my apartment to move in with my friend but I'll in that transitional phase and have so many things going on I got overwhelmed and so I just share that to say because I just share that because I believe in being transparent I want people to know that it's okay to not be okay Your mental illness does not make you weak. 
I want to thank Amber for stopping by the podcast. She is amazing. She and I will also be doing some great work together and collaborating because she just moved to the D.C. area. Y'all, the D.C. area is about to be popping for mental health, okay, because there's so many creatives and podcasters and uh, influencers who are moving to this area. I'm super excited about some of the things we will be cooking up. So I just wanted to share that with y'all because so many people like being vulnerable on social media, like it's not popular. Nobody really, people are only going to show you what they want to show you. Again, it's filtered. The picture is filtered. The caption is filtered. Nobody is really out here going to tell you their deepest, darkest secret or the things that they're struggling with. I intentionally, I still do have some boundaries in the things that I share because I'm, there are still a lot of things that I'm working on, but I do my very best to be as transparent as possible because I want people to see that I have good days and bad days just like everyone else. Just because I'm doing this podcast and I'm up here speaking at all these speaking engagements and I'm producing all of these, this show and this event and I'm doing all these things, that don't mean I don't struggle. You know, I, I really wanted to make that clear. Am I doing better? Absolutely. But I hope that you can get a glimpse at my story of me overcoming suicide over me taking something that could have truly taken me out, using that and turning that into something positive to be able to erase the mental health stigma to educate people and provide them with the resources that they need and so I just want to thank you for listening week after week if this is your first time listening to the podcast I hope that you come back I hope that you get some great information from the podcast if there's anything that you want me to talk about I am always willing to talk about it if I don't have the information on it I will find it or I'll bring a guest to talk about it this podcast again I say this over and over probably week after week it is for you it is not for me and so if you have topics that you want me to talk about shoot me an email at podcast at fireflyesunite.com again that's podcast at fireflyesunite.com if you need advice on something feel free to shoot me an email there and I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I need to let you guys know because I can't even remember if there's anything else that I need. No, I think I pretty much shared everything with you. And oh, that's what I wanted to say to you all. If you're new listening to the podcast, please feel free to follow me at Fireflies Pod on all social media. That's F-I-R-E-F-L-I-E-S Pod, P-O-D, which is short for podcast. You can follow me on all social medias. That's where you can find me. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. And... I want to give a huge shout out and a thank you to The Mighty. The Mighty is a great platform. I write articles for them and I have been writing articles for them for about two and a half years. They gave me the opportunity to take over their Instagram in honor of Minority Mental Health Awareness Month because July is Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. And I was able to share my story. I was able to share the things that I'm working on for Save My Babies and the podcast. And I was really able to show the community what I'm doing for um, the mighty community to show them what I'm doing for communities of color. So I want to give them a huge thank you for giving me the opportunity to be a part of their community. So thank you so much to the mighty. I pray that you all have a very blessed week. Y'all know I'm always sending y'all positive vibes and I want y'all to continue to use your light, be the light in darkness 
and to continue to help me dismantle the stigma by telling people about this podcast, sharing my story, or even sharing your story or the stories of loved ones. I'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening. I hope that you obtain tools and resources from the Fireflies Unite podcast to help you manage your mental health, but please do not use it as a substitute for a relationship with a licensed therapist or psychiatrist. Let's continue the conversation by following me on Fireflies Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.